This morning's reading comes from Romans 13, verses 11 to 14. The day is near. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, close yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Can I introduce you to the uh, observation that what someone is wearing is a good indication of what they think that the day is going to be like. Uh, To prove my point, um, I'd like to introduce you to a new game show that I've invented. It's called, uh, Have You Been Paying Attention to What You're Wearing? (laughs) Because it is a good indication of what they think is going to be going on or what they will be doing. Um, Now I'd like you to play this game. Uh, You don't have to stand up, you don't have to do anything, you just have to respond. Uh, Round one is a very simple round in Have You Been Paying Attention to What People Are Wearing? Because it's a good indication of what they think the day is going to be like or what they will be doing. It's a long title, but I think it'll catch on. Round one is, uh, what's the day going to be like? You can call out an answer from where you are. What's the day going to be like because of what this person is wearing? Right. Hot. Hot. Yes. Any else? Sunny. Yes. Good. Very good. Sticky. Yes. Full. They've got a skin problem. That's right. That's right. They've got chicken pox and it's calamine lotion. Who knew? Um, okay. What's the day going to be like? It's going to be rainy and cold, but this kid looks like he's going to have a ball. All right. What's the day going to be like? Give him what this... Ah, tough. What's the day going to be like? Exciting. Celebration. Excellent. That's round one. Congratulations. You've all done really well. Round two of have you been paying attention to what people are wearing? I'm not going to be able to get this right because it's a good indication of what they think the day is going to be like or what they think they will be doing. Round two is uh, what are they going to be doing given what they're wearing? What are they going to be doing? So what's this person going to be doing? It's pretty obvious, right? As I said, it's not a very hard game. Excellent. Hiking, seeing some beautiful scenes and all those kind of things. Excellent. What's this person going to be doing? Soccer. (laughs) (laughs) No, probably not. Probably not. No, not cricket. Does anyone know what the person is wearing? Right. Well, maybe riot squad. It's a very specific uniform. They're bomb. It's bomb disposable. So what, what's their day going to be like? It's going to be frightening. It's going to be dangerous. If you have to get into that thing, it's not a good day. All right. What about this guy? What's he going to be doing? Making coffee. It's <laughs> exactly right. It's perfect. I did think when I found this photo, he looks like where's Wally's hipster brother, doesn't he? You know? It's a great photo. What about this lady? What's her day going to be like? It's a bit hard to see that, isn't it? She's got, she's got a gun belt on and so she's, uh, she's a tactical respondent. Dangerous, excellent. Last and, and now last one. Okay, uh, what's this person wearing? <laughs> and what is their day going to be like? It's going to be. It's going to be fantasy, right? So Daniel as Thor is a superhero. In fact, uh, I, so you know, that's actually Daniel's pajamas, and he's actually heading off to bed. Um, so, 
So there you are. You've all done fantastically well. What someone is wearing is a good indication of what they think the day is going to be like. And, um, and so well done. But I wonder, have you been paying attention to what people are wearing or even what you are wearing? Because what are you wearing? According to the passage that we've just been looking at in Romans, chapter 13, um, what are you wearing? And I don't mean the things that you put on today as you got ready. I mean to ask you the question that the last verse in our passage is inviting us to ask in verse 14. Have you put on or clothed yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ? It says, verse 14, rather, clothe yourself or put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, what does that even mean, to clothe yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ? Um, And that's what we're going to try and understand this morning as we move through this passage together. But let me just back up a little bit, because you'll remember um, that if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been moving through these last few chapters in the book of Romans. And back in chapter 12, we came to a significant turning point in this letter. Because for the previous 11 chapters, Paul has been telling us the incredible story of how, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and through the outpouring of his Holy Spirit, it has come about that sinners can be forgiven and have their status transformed. Transformed from those who are enemies and dead to being friends and those who are now eternally alive. And then you hit chapter 12... And Paul begins to unpack what that transformed life looks like when it's lived out across various areas of your life. And so we've already seen that it actually calls us for a totally new way of living. It's actually our series titled, A New Way of Living. A call to live this life embodied in a life that is holy and pleasing to God in response to what he has done for us. You'll you'll remember back to verse 1, perhaps, of chapter 12, where it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, I want you to notice that Paul is encouraging his readers, those who have come to understand what chapters 1 to 11 are all about, to reform their present behaviour in the light of the past. You see that? In view of God's mercy, that you're not receiving what you deserve. In fact, you have been transformed from dead to alive. In light of Christ's death and resurrection, with that in view of what has been done, the fact that the old has been supplanted by the new, now live because of what's already been done. Now, just remember that. Because last week we saw what that looks like to be holy and pleasing to God in our attitudes to those in people in positions with in those in response to people who have positions of authority over us our attitudes to the governing authorities and even our attitudes to taxation and the repayment of debts what's that going to look like to be holy and pleasing in that area of our life and we ended last week hearing the instruction that we were to have only one debt remaining and that was the debt to love one another And it was all summarised up under one command in Romans 13 verse 9. You are to love your neighbour as yourself. And if you were to ask, why should I love my neighbour as I love myself? The first answer is given in verse 10 of chapter 13. It says it fulfils the law. 
So you look up back up through that list that's given in verse 9 and you can see how it's true. That, that when you don't commit adultery, it's, it's loving to your spouse and your family. And it's loving to the other person. If they were married, it's loving to their spouse. And if they're not, it's loving to their future partner. And their purity is preserved. Or it's loving and honouring to their singleness. When you don't murder someone, it's loving your neighbour when you don't kill them. But not only is it loving to them, it's loving to the people who loved them, to their family and their friends. And you can see the logic of what Paul's saying. Here are these laws that have been given. And when we love like this, it fulfils the law. When you don't steal and flog stuff that doesn't belong to you, it's loving to the person that you didn't steal it from. They worked hard for that. And it's loving to those who they are supporting and who those resources were one day going to perhaps pass on to. But it's also loving to the community around that doesn't have to feel vulnerable or less safe. When you don't covet what others have or who others are, it's loving them. It's loving them to live their lives the way that God had intended them to live them, rather than you wanting their life and their things. See, it's allowing you to get on and love yourself and live out the good work that God has prepared for you to do, rather than craving what was to be lived by someone else. It's loving your neighbour when you don't covet what's theirs. And so you can see how love is a fulfilment of the law. And so Paul says, this is the first reason as to why you ought to live like this. Then when you read on to today's passage, you discover that there's actually a second reason why you ought to adopt this new way of living. And it's all to do with the time. Remember back in the previous section, it was in view of God's mercy. But here it's not about what Christ has done, his mercy. It's with a view to the present and in particular a view to the future. Look at verse 11 of chapter 13. And do this... Understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. See, have you thought about what the time is? It is the time, isn't it, between Christ's first and second coming. And we live in this in-between overlapping time. A time when forgiveness and righteousness has come to this world because of Jesus Christ. And he offers life and peace. And it's come. And you've come to understand that. It came with the arrival of Jesus Christ two millennia ago. However, in the in-between, between Christ's first and second coming, the old age still lives on. It lingers. It echoes. An age of guilt and sin and death and strife and sickness and darkness and misery. They still linger, don't they? And we recognise this. We live in the overlap of these two ages. It's abundantly true, says Paul, that in Christ we are forgiven. We have been set free and we have life. We've accepted and been empowered for holiness and love and yet... Perfection hasn't come, not fully, not yet, not on this earth. And we still struggle with sin. And we still live in this broken world and there's still sadness and sickness and still we will die. See, what do we know about the time? What does Paul want us to know about the time? In verse 12, he says, you ought to know about the time that the night is nearly over. The day 
the, 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 the day when it's all revealed and all put right, the day is almost here. And so in view of the time, he says, don't set your mind on the things of darkness, on the things of what you once were. Set your mind rather on the truth that the day of Christ's second appearing gives light to. That that you know that the sunrise is going to come. He will return. You can see the, the hue on the horizon. In fact, it's been there for 2,000 years and it's grown every day since. It is at hand because the dawn of Christ's first appearing echoes in his second and it will arrive imminently. And we know that the powers of darkness have indeed been broken. And so it's only a matter of time. Soon, they will give way entirely to the sun's return. And so back in verse 11, Paul makes that really clear. He says, salvation, that totality of what we receive in Christ, is nearer now to us than when we first believed. Nearer now. In fact, with every passing breath, nearer. Your perfection, when everything is restored... When every wrong is righted, every injustice inverted, when you are set free from sinning and found in perfect health, with no tears, when you are presented perfectly with Christ for all eternity, in his presence, that's closer every day. The imminence of glory with every breath. So Paul says in verse 11... Wake up to yourself. Look at verse 11 again. The hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. What Paul's saying is that this life that you live, if you have come to know Christ, is not a time for sleeping or sleepwalking. Because you'll be living your life and acting it out, but but he's saying you could be evidently asleep. My history with sleepwalking is actually well known. I've shared it from the pulpit in the past of different periods of in my life where I've done things while I'm asleep that I've been completely unaware of but told of later. I've performed Shakespeare <laughs> in my sleep. It's true, you can ask me about it later. I folded washing in my sleep. <laughs> I've had arguments and I've slept through it all. It's terrific. <laughs> it's a family tradition. My brother's even gone for a jog in his sleep and he has no recollection of it, but we saw him up the street. And you, wow, I don't want to talk about my sister and her trying to attack me with scissors while she was asleep, but that's another story entirely. But you see, it's very dangerous, isn't it, sleepwalking? And that's what Paul is identifying here. He's saying that there's a way of living when you think you are awake. It looks like you're awake, but you are obviously sound asleep and closed off to reality. If you've ever seen the movie The Matrix, it's exactly that picture. You think you can see what's going on and you're woke to it all, but in fact you're just kind of caught up in this cocoon and you are actually lost to the truth of what is really going on. And everything in the world that does not wake you up to your trust and your dependence on Christ puts you to sleep, is what Paul is saying. Wake up. Wake up and get dressed for that day. Pay attention to what you are wearing. Because most of the world thinks that it's wide awake and Paul says it's sound asleep. And you can see that by its behaviour. 
John Piper says this, he says, In our entertainment-saturated world, people who don't treasure Christ above all are like skydivers, who think that the wind passing through their fingers at 120 miles an hour is the ultimate thrill of being alive, when in fact they have no parachutes. And the gravity that pulls them inexorably to the ground is the wrath of God. That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? Whew, here's life! Bam! Because they are unaware of the present time. And that the hour of their salvation or their fronting up to God is lost to them. See, Paul is saying to us in this text, have you been paying attention? Wake up. Because now is not the time for sleepwalking. Now is the time to wake up and get dressed and love your neighbour as you love yourself. Now, let me bring just a very important aside. And it's this. I love this phrase. It's the, that the imperative always follows the indicative. Have you got it? Fine, I'll move on. Now, let me explain. This is consistent throughout the whole of the New Testament. The indicative is the thing that tells you what God has done. It tells you who you are in Christ because of the gospel. It's really what Romans is doing for the first 11 chapters. It's saying, this is what God has done for you, the indicative. And the imperative is the commands that flow out from that. Uh, This is what it would look like to live consistent, to keep in step with the Spirit. And consistently in the New Testament, you get the indicative, what God has done, before the imperative, how we are to respond to it. And that's important as we come to think about this passage. Because if you were to walk away and said, right, these are the things I've got to do, that's the imperative. You flip the equation. Come to the indicative that says, remember who you are in Christ and whose you are. And now look at how you would dress if you were consistent with that, the imperative. The imperative always follows the indicative and it does it here in this passage as well. Because the whole assumption of what we are reading here is that those who belong to Christ are children of the day. You have already passed from darkness to light. You've already been transformed from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of Christ. You are already new creatures in Christ. You are already children of God. Already. Indicative. Imperative. What remains for you is to dress like it, to live like it, and as we see in this passage, to fight like it. But the clothes that you put on and the fight that you make does not make you a child of the light, but they show that you are a child of the light. You might want to dwell on that a little bit more, but understand that that's at the heart of the gospel. We do because of what Christ has done. So it's time to get dressed. What will that look like? I'm glad you asked, because that's exactly what Paul identifies in verse 12 of this passage. He says, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. And what does that tell you? It tells you if you know the time, you will know what to wear. Exactly what we saw as we began. If you know what the time is, this present time, you'll know what to wear. And since the day is at hand, take off your pyjamas. Stop sleepwalking and put on, well, put on what? And Paul chooses a word that implies that you just don't put on kind of casual clothes. Let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. It's to say that there's a battle. You're to be armoured for this. God awakens us now from unbelief 
inviting us to put our faith in Christ as Saviour and Lord and put on this weaponry because the Christian life's a battle. It's a battle against all the things that would have you just kind of drift off into sleep, to be unaware that the war is even away, uh, uh, occurring. But this is the invitation to be awake, that there is a war that is waged. You'll notice that in verse 14, at the end of this passage, he uses the same kind of language, the idea of being clothed or putting on. Same language that he has there in verse 11. Clothe yourself, he says in verse 14, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that begs the question, doesn't it? How is the armour of light and the Lord Jesus Christ? If we're to put on the armour of light and we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, how are those two things related to each other? And what we discover as we look at this passage is that they are talking about the same thing. To put on the armour is to put on Christ. I'm actually indebted to John Piper for this observation. Um, in a piece that he's written about this, he says, you understand this when you look to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 7, because there in that passage, you have a very close parallel. Paul's talking about the same, it's the same person talking about the same things. And he says in verses 7 and 8, using the same language, for those who sleep, they sleep at night. And those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober... And here he identifies the armour, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Paul mentions two pieces of personal armour. He says the breastplate and the helmet. And then he defines what each of those pieces mean. He says the breastplate means faith and love. And the helmet means the hope of salvation. And so the armour of light... According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, is faith, hope, and love. Then, when you come back to chapter 13 of Romans and look at verse 12, the, mean, the meaning becomes clearer. The night's nearly over, the day's almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. That is, put on, let's put on faith and trust in Christ and hope and love. Piper says this, in this world of sleepwalking where every turn there is a weapon of darkness aimed at your chest and your head, your emotions and your will and your reason, the aims of these worldly weapons isn't to scare you, in fact just the opposite, they are aimed to lull you into a glitzy entertainment saturated sleep. He's saying the world is just, oh, just having you drift off. But this invitation to armour up is to say, remind your head, your heart, your will of whose you belong to. Paul says we must wake up to the battle that we're in. Put on the armour of light. Put on faith, hope, love. Because only those things will wake you up to this world. They are the only thing that can break the power of the things that would otherwise have you sleep. All of the advertising, all of the invitation for a sex-saturated life, all of the drink, all of the uh, substance abuse, all of the things that we might use to just kind of numb the situations of our life or even the praise of man or our own accomplishments, they'll all lull you into sleep. But here is the call to place faith and hope and love in what? Well, in Christ, isn't it? I mean, it's pretty obvious from the passage. Verse 14 means to put on faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and put on hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and put on love for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Putting on Christ each day doesn't mean wearing him as an imposition or a nuisance or a burden. It means wearing him as protection. That is, trusting him and wearing him as the supplier of all your future needs. It's about hoping in him and wearing him as your supreme treasure. That is, loving him. Piper goes on and he says this. Put on Jesus Christ means to put him as the parachute for your skydiving behind enemy lines. It means putting him on as your high-impact protective anti-explosion suit when you disarm the bombs of the devil. It means putting him on as the asbestos fire-proof suit when you rescue sinners from the flames of hell. It means putting him on as the bulletproof vest when you confront the pistols of sin and unbelief. Saying, as you live your life, would you put on Christ and remember who you belong to and whose you are? See, see, Paul wants to say to those that are following Christ, do you know that the night has gone and the day is at hand and what are you wearing? Have you been paying attention to what you are wearing? Of course, this makes it look trivial with my head on there, doesn't it? But look, it's a, it's a warning sign, isn't it? It's not trivial, any of this. Take off and put on the armour of life, the armour of light. And it's not just a matter of kind of waking up. It's recognising that in this war, that armour of faith and hope and love actually transforms everything. So put on faith in Jesus and hope in Jesus and love for Jesus because that's going to impact. And notice carefully at the end of verse 12 what it really will mean because it will go on there to say, put aside the deeds of darkness because it's inconsistent with what you're wearing as you are in Christ. And so in verse 13, he makes it quite specific. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness and not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, but instead cast those things off. But remember what I said before, the casting of these things off doesn't make you a believer. It's a response to the fact that you are in Christ. Cast them off. And verse 14 gives you the technique as to how you are to do that. And you may have missed it. See, it says, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Put on Jesus and don't let any thought in your head that would lead you to a sinful desire. Not even just talking about the gratification of that desire, but even the thought of it that wakens things and moves and the trajectory of. And see, we all know how this works, don't we, in practice? We know how that just by thinking a certain thought, be it in that area of how I might numb the pain and what substances might make this feeling go away or what activity might make me feel better, be it sexual or otherwise, or how I might make myself better by pushing other people down and causing dissensions and rifts and seeking those things that we are to put to death dissensions and jealousies that waken in us that make us feel good and us look others look worse and Paul says don't give them a thought don't give them a foothold in your mind and he gives us three categories of sinful desires and what they produce and they're just samples really aren't they in verse 13 behave decently or walk properly as in the daytime and then you see how those things really do summarize our world and often the things that tempt us 
And often we find ourselves clothed in, in like a straitjacket, the carousing or the drunkenness or the immorality and debauchery, the dissensions and the jealousy. And, and Paul says, don't let any thought in your head that gives rise to these sinful desires. It's inconsistent. It doesn't fit what you're wearing. It doesn't recognise the present day and, and let alone the fact that it's not a fulfilment of the law. If you're bored or you're lonely or you're tired or discouraged or you're feeling hopeless, where will you go? Will you think about the relief that alcohol or some drug might give you or some sexually immoral experience might establish for you or establishing your own revenge against someone else and you'll fight your own battles and it makes you feel better? Paul's saying they put you to sleep. They're like a sleeping tablet. Oh, no, they're invigorating. They're ex- no, no, they're putting you to sleep. You're sleepwalking. And Paul calls those activities the works of darkness. And you've shut your eyes to the daylight. So live in the light. Otherwise, it's like you've just gone to work in your pyjamas. But don't let those thoughts into your head. Paul says, do you know the time? Have you been paying attention to what you're wearing? And then perhaps you think, it's too hard and it's too long a wait. Well, remember what he says to you in this passage. Know who you are and know the time. And your salvation is at hand. In fact, it's nearer now than when we first believed. Well, how much longer in this life between Christ's first and second coming? It's nearer. It's nearer now than it was when I started talking, however long ago that was. It's nearer now. Speed on the day, you say. It's soon. It's very soon. And so dress. Put aside deeds of darkness and put on. And of course the challenge for us every day, what do we think about what it is that God's saying to us? Of what it looks for us to actually live this new way of living in the daylight and recognising what it is to think about our faith in Christ and our hope that's established in him alone and our love for him and how that reflects into how we will live for others. Remember, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is soon, sooner than when we first believed. The night is nearly over And the day is almost here. As the band comes to prepare for us as we sing, would you think about that, what the time is, and would you pay attention to what you are wearing? For he is coming soon.